I want to say a special thank you to Pastor John and to his team for the great work that they're doing on that, on Christmas ministries and for the update today. We're looking forward to a real meaningful time of ministry together this Christmas. I also want to say a special word of congratulations to four university grads who graduated this fall at UMBSJ, all four of them with an MBA. So congratulations to the four of you, to Anyi, uh, Damala, Maria, and Julius. Uh, we're, we're so proud of you. We know how hard you've worked, and in particular, the sacrifices that you've made in order to accomplish those degrees, being far away from family. I know Julius is now back home uh, with his family. I know Maria's husband is arriving or has arrived soon uh, to spend time with her and the kids, so we're, we're excited for you, uh, but also just congratulations to each of you. And next Sunday, Dr. Garth Williams is going to be sharing with us in the service. We're going to have an emphasis on our work together as Atlantic Baptists. Garth serves as the Associate Director of Leadership for a Baptist family of churches here in the Maritimes. Many of you would know Garth. He and his wife, Heather, are members here, actively involved. So we look forward to having Garth share with us next weekend. But today we're going to finish up our series on Engage and calling you really today at the end of this message to just simply open your hands and say, Lord, I'm ready to, to do the things that you've called me to do in this season, that we as a church can have a vibrant and significant ministry in the lives of people here in our city. We've been talking over these last number of weeks what it looks like uh, to be the church right now because it looks differently. That some of the life-giving rhythms that are so important to us and are so central to shaping our faith and expressing our faith we're doing differently. We worship differently. We worship online uh, and in person. It's different. Uh, staying connected to our church family. Uh, it's, it takes more intentionality, and sometimes it seems a little bit harder, um, but it's worth it. Last week, we talked about using the gifts that God has given us to be a blessing, to strengthen the witness of our church. Um, but all of those are being done differently now as well. And here's what some of you were thinking and I know it because some of you have talked to me about it, that as we're wrestling with all of this relearning that we're doing, some of you would just say, I don't want to change. I like the old way. I don't want to have to relearn how to do these things. Some of you have said to me, I don't like these changes at all. I don't like worshiping online. I don't like coming to a worship service that has so few people in it. I, I don't like Zoom. You know, all of these things. Some of you have told me you don't even know if the gift that you used to do or gift that you used to, the gift that you have is even applicable anymore. The changes are so different. You don't know how you can express your faith, how you can do some of the things that you used to do. And all of this can create conflicting feelings uh, because we're talking about our church. We're talking about our faith. And to talk about these things like this can be difficult. And let me just add a whole other layer of complexity. That even though we're in a season of relearning everything, we as God's people are still responsible to a, for a mission and a mandate given to us by Jesus himself. The God who has richly blessed our lives with faith and grace wants our city to know. That in Christ we have hope, we have peace, we have forgiveness, we have joy, but it's not for us alone. That God has blessed us richly as a congregation and that we've got so many opportunities around us to come alongside people in times of need and support and encourage them. And yet, we're living in a reality where we're not always sure how to carry that out. Not sure what the plan is or what the future would look like. So, where does that leave us? Unqualified, overwhelmed, paralyzed, frustrated, unsure of the future? 
Well, I want to suggest to you today that where we are right now and how we're feeling right now has us perfectly positioned, if we stay humble, for God to be at work in a significant way. There's a scene in Deuteronomy, chapters 8 and 9, where God is preparing the people of Israel to enter the promised land. They've traveled together for 40 years in the wilderness. They have nothing, they have no land, and they have no homes. And just before they enter into the promised land and are about to settle down, the Lord gives them a warning. And he says this, when you get settled into the land of milk and honey, and you look around and see the beauty of the crops and the beauty of your new homes, and you start experiencing stability and peace, you're going to be tempted to say, by my own strength, we have accomplished this. To which we kind of laughed and say, how could someone who is so poor, who has no possessions, has no land, has no homes, ever then kind of just walk into that and immediately claim that they did it on their own? And yet, of course, we do the same thing. So the Lord issues really a humbling statement to the people of Israel in this kind of sacred moment. He says, I did not pick you because, I did not pick you to be my nation because you were great. I picked you because you had absolutely nothing. You were slaves, you were poor, you had no land, and you were homeless. And I know that when I blessed you, and all of the surrounding nations saw the radical change in your lives, that they would look at you and say, wow, we, they could have never done that on their own. They must have an amazing Lord. Meaning there's something about the people's situation, their circumstances, their lack, their inability to handle their situations that made them a perfect choice for God to walk in and say, I'm going to do something in your midst so amazing that when people look around you, they're going to say, wow, the Lord did something amazing in their lives. And it would almost act like an invitation to say, if God could do that in their life, maybe he could do something significant in our life too which I think makes us actually in a really good space for God to do something in our midst and in our lives that when others look at it and say, well, we, there's no way they pulled that off on their own. Their God must have brought them to this place. So I want to look at a New Testament example as well. So today I'd invite you to open your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at the first six verses of that chapter together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Last week we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, and so you'll remember some of the context that I provided. This was a church that excelled in problems. Let me just read these verses for you together. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So here is the Apostle Paul writing to a dysfunctional group of Christians reminding them of the ministry that they carry together, but also reminding them in the midst of their challenges, don't lose heart. Remember, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For 
we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves your servants for the Lord's sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I love those verses. Paul is talking to these Corinthians and he's trying to remind them of their calling uh, to live out the gospel and to be light to the nations. But they've got lots of challenges. They've got internal challenges. Um, As we talked about last week, while the church in Philippi was known for their encouragement and financial generosity to the Apostle Paul. And the church in Berea was known for their devoted study of the scriptures to test and prove everything. The church in Corinth was known for sleeping with temple prostitutes, uh, falling into their old religious habits, suing each other, and getting drunk on the communion wine. So without any external problems, these were the challenges that this church family had struggled with just on their own. But they had external challenges too. Um, They were facing opposition as we do from the evil one uh, who blinds people from hearing the gospel and seeing the gospel. Not only that, they were facing persecution for their culture, for their faith. And with all of this going on, Paul says to these people, you still have to be the church. God still has a mission and a mandate, no matter how challenging it might be for you. And Paul, like the Lord to the Israelites, believed that the challenges and the frustrations and the feelings of inadequacy do not disqualify us from our calling in Jesus Christ. Even the Corinthians, as messed up as they were, were still called to share the light of Christ to people. And the truth is this. Jesus has not yet called the perfect church to be a witness in their community. It simply does not exist. Meaning, even us, as we try to relearn how to be the church with all of our questions, with the uncertainty and the struggles that we're facing at this time, we do not get a pass on being the church and being faithful to the mission that Jesus has given to us. And we see Paul's heart for these people as they're going through this. The very first thing he said to them is, do not lose heart. When we feel like we're losing heart, we're losing our passion, it's draining from us, we're losing our energy, our commitment, maybe even our willpower. When we feel ill-equipped, when we don't know everything that's going on or how it's all going to turn out, there can be a sense that we start to lose heart and maybe, maybe you can relate. And here's why Paul says you don't have to lose heart. And I want us to focus on verses 5 and 6 in chapter 4 here today. Because I believe as a local church, working to find our way, working to not lose our focus, these words are so powerful. In fact, I'm going to read them for you again. You can maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable. And I want you to imagine that Jesus is speaking these words directly to each of us today. So let me just read verses 5 and 6 again. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Christ. Verse 5. We don't preach ourselves. It's not about us. But Jesus Christ is Lord. And our role in this whole thing is we are your servants. We're other people's servants. We're the servants to our community. This is such a simple but profound reminder that our calling is not to sell our church or to sell our programs. We're not inviting people to join a religious club or a social group. What we are about is turning people's eyes to Jesus. Paul says at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how inadequate we feel or how lost we might be because it's not about us. It's not about how good we are. It's not about how successful we think we are. What matters is whether or not we are turning people's eyes towards Jesus. And Paul knows that in tough times, the natural temptation of all of our hearts is to look after ourselves first and to focus on ourselves first, what we're missing, and to oftentimes lose sight of the calling that has been given to us. Jesus Christ is Lord. We are your servants on his behalf. The gospel message is an invitation to turn people's eyes to Jesus because Jesus has not changed since we read about him in the gospel pages. That if you run to him, he will meet you and be gracious. That if you're grieving, he will weep with you. That if you are buried in sin, he will call you away from it and and point you towards freedom. And as a pastor... I know how frustrating it is right now to have the very things that we thought we were good at taken away from us. But as his servants, what matters most has not changed. That my calling, your calling, all of our calling together as we work together is to turn people to face and see Jesus. Even as we relearn how to be church and to accept our posture as a servant, we remember the Lord did not call us because of how awesome we are, so that people could be amazed at how great we are, but they will be amazed at what God could accomplish through our broken lives. And so we turn people's eyes to Jesus so they can see what God could do through their surrendered life. Gordon McDonald is an 80-year-old pastor. He's well-retired. He's now kind of in a season of reflecting back on his years of ministry and writing about it. And um, he's been featured on a number of podcasts lately. So I was listening to him uh, and just some of his reflections on his years of ministry. And he shared a great story. He talked about on September 11th, uh, being in New York City the day the terrorist attacks happened. He was actually in his car leaving New York City, driving towards Atlanta to attend some church meetings. And he heard on the news what had happened. And he says, as he continued to drive away from New York City, he noticed that the traffic leaving the city began to thin. That he found himself alone on the highway. But as he looked over on the the highway going towards the city, the traffic was building. He saw fire trucks and ambulances and service vehicles and just citizens in their cars and trucks going towards the city to see what they could do to help. He said in that moment, he remembered one of the biggest regrets from his earlier pastoral life, which was when he was a young man pastoring in the, in the American South, and he got invited to attend a Martin Luther King rally, and he didn't go 
because he had church meetings. And in hindsight, he said, I remember what a powerful night that was when Martin Luther King spoke, how I missed it, and how he's kind of regretted it and it had haunted him his whole life. And he did not want to miss another opportunity like that again. So he says, I pulls over on the highway. He cancels his meetings in Atlanta. He calls his wife and says, fly to New York and meet me there. And we'll just show up and open our hands and see how we can help. They spend the next week hanging out at Ground Zero, praying for people, supporting first responders, and doing whatever they could. And well, he had no idea what he was going to face when he went to New York City. Well, he had no idea what would be required of him or the kind of training or preparation that would be required for that moment. He knew that the Lord had called him for such a time as this and that he would make himself available amidst all the uncertainty. And he said, my job when I got there was simply to point people to Jesus. And that is the greatest gift that we could ever give as we look to serve right now is a surrendered life, even in the midst of uncertainty, to simply show up and say, God, I'm here, I'm available. How can I be involved in helping point others to Jesus? Let's look at verse six again. In this verse, it's a great verse. It's got a lot kind of packed in it and some images here. And the first one takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter one in the creation story where the Lord speaks and says into the darknesses and says, let there be light. And there was light. That God's word was so powerful that it could overcome darkness. Reminding us that no matter the circumstances that we might be in today, God's word is so powerful to overcome. No matter the people that we're caring for and walking alongside, no matter what they might be going through, that the Lord's word is so powerful. And Paul says that the moment we meet Jesus, we have the same experience. The lights get turned on. Light bursts into our heart. That before we had met Jesus, we lived in confusion and lack of clarity. There was a sense of darkness about our spirit. And I can tell you as a pastor, you know, getting to talk to people, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, I hear their questions. And when people have questions wondering, could someone really love me after all I've done? If I was ever to meet Jesus, how would he treat me? If I died tonight and met Jesus, how would he respond to me? When people live with kind of uncertainty around some of these questions, it can bring a darkness to our hearts and a lack of hope. And Paul says when Jesus speaks, he speaks light into people's darkness. Now, I don't think it's any accident that Paul uses this metaphor of light uh, to help frustrated, lost Corinthians understand their calling because the lights literally came on for Paul when he first met Christ. When we first meet Paul in the scriptures, his name is Saul. He's part of an elite Jewish group that are persecuting Christians and seeing some of them murdered. Let me read for you just a few verses from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 4 that'll kind of give you a snapshot of Paul's life before he became a Christian. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Think about that. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, this was the way they referred to Christians at first, were people of the way. If he found anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
So Paul goes to the Jewish religious elite and is essentially getting a license to hunt for Christians. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus, so he's now leaving Jerusalem, going towards Damascus. As he's leaving there on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So Paul, in trying to call these Corinthians back to their mission, back to their mandate as a local church, uses this image of a light that shines, a light that comes on in people's heart when the Lord speaks. And he wants us to imagine what he saw in hopes that it'll help us appreciate what others will see as we point them towards Jesus. Because as, Paul, as the Lord spoke to him, he saw Jesus' face. And, and what did Jesus say to him? Did Jesus decide, I'm going to kill you? You've been killing my people, I'm going to kill you. No. Did he mute him? Did he cripple him? No. Did he put him in prison or send him to a remote island to live out the last of his days? No. Does he write him a ticket and issue him enormous crippling fines? No. Jesus invites Paul to follow him. And not just that, to be one of the leaders of his movement in the early church. For Paul, when the light shone on his life, he realized how completely and totally lost without any resources that he, to stand before the Lord. Only to see that in that moment, Jesus was pursuing him, but pursuing him out of love, calling him to follow and looking to redeem and repurpose his life and send it in a brand new direction. As you and I imagine what it looks like to be the church right now, this is the privilege that we get to have as we point people towards Jesus, that when they meet him and he speaks into their life and the lights come on, it's not condemnation. It's an invitation to come and follow to be made new, and to go in a new direction. So, like Moses' warnings to Israel, like Paul encouraging these struggling Christians, our job is not to show off how great we are, how much we've figured out, how much we know, or how awesome we think we might be. But to say, you know what? In a tough time, and this is a tough time, Jesus has shone his light into my life. It's our opportunity to say, you know, I've had some tough days and I've had some struggles. But as I worship and fix my eyes on Jesus, he meets me and reassures me that he's going to see me through. That I've been tempted to find my release and my relief in all kinds of unhealthy places, but I've been with some Christian friends and they've been challenging me and reminding me that these things will never deliver on the promises they give. And that I've been tempted to become self-focused during this time, but I've started praying for five people each day. And the ministry of prayer for other people has helped me become more focused on other people's needs. This is our opportunity to declare that God is working in us, not because we're good and perfect, but because he is good. Our witness, to use a verse that will come later, is that in our struggles we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. And that's the invitation that we get to make available to people today. So as Christ followers who are trying to relearn how to be the church, who are feeling inadequate or feeling a bit lost and uncertain and certainly not prepared for the season that we find ourselves in, we are still called to be the people of God today. And I believe today it matters more than ever that there are so many people struggling right now, so many people feeling lost and overwhelmed by all the circumstances and all the changes. And our calling isn't to be perfect for them. Our calling is to turn their eyes to see Jesus, to hear him speak into the life so the lights can come on and they can hear his invitation to follow him. So I'm going to ask you today, will you commit to being the church? not going to church, not being religious and filling your day with all kinds of religious activities. Will you commit to being attentive to the Spirit of God so that you can continue to point people to Jesus? That As you gather for worship, as you have God speak into your life and encourage your own spirit, as you meet together in community and connect with others, that God would continue to speak into your life too. We're going to close here in a second, and I'm going to, we're going to sing a new song. And I want part of my prayer, I want this to be a prayer of commitment for each of us today. And I know the tune will be new. The words are great. And the words are really a song of surrender. And surrender means laying some things down in order to embrace new things. And today, would you be willing to embrace this new season that God has us in? and his calling on us for this season. Not to be perfect, but to experience God's perfect love in our lives and to let it overflow so that others might know that Jesus is here. He's real and he's powerful and he has the ability to transform their lives just like he's transforming our own just ask you to close your eyes at this time and I'm going to lead us in a prayer before we sing together. Let's pray. Lord, today we just open our hands physically right now in this moment. We open them up as a symbol and as a reminder that we are surrendering ourselves into your service in this season. Lord, we start today by remembering the moment that the lights came on in our heart. And we realized that as we stood in your presence and became aware of your goodness and grace, we had nothing to offer. That all we had was brokenness and sin and regrets. And God, you met us in that moment and you transformed us and you invited us, like Paul, to follow. To be repurposed, to be redeemed, to be sent in a brand new direction. And so God, today we start just by saying thank you for that call in our lives. And Lord, today we just simply bring to you again not our expertise, not all our knowledge. We bring to you our inadequacies. We bring to you our questions and our uncertainties. We bring to you our jars of clay. And Lord, would you continue to be the thing that we treasure most? The good news of Jesus shining his light into our hearts the ability to change and transform, to heal and to comfort and to redeem. And Lord, may more and more people in our city, in our families and in our communities 
come to the same knowledge as we are faithful to the task. So Lord, we give ourselves to you and to this purpose today we ask in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.